Hey there, you're listening to the Faithful Business Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and I bring over a decade of experience owning, running, and growing Christian organizations. And in this podcast, I want to help you become a more effective leader for Christ and serve your clients and customers well. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, friends. In this episode of the podcast, I'm pleased to welcome Kent Sanders onto the podcast. Kent is somebody who I met a while ago in an online community, and I recently reconnected with him and had him on the podcast to share all about his experience as a faithful business owner. I'm going to go ahead and get right into the interview without further ado. Here we go. All right, Kent, thank you so much for joining us here on the Faithful Business Podcast. Thanks. Appreciate you having me, Steve. It is an honor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, the the honor is all mine, and uh, I assure you to those listening that uh, the honor will be all yours by the time we are all through with this conversation. I can almost guarantee it. So um, I, I'm just excited to, to dive in. Uh, as you saw, I, I sent some questions over that I like to ask most of my guests. And so, um, yeah, this is going to be a good conversation. I've been looking forward to it. So we're just going to start cool. off with... Um, Basically, how did you come to know Christ? You know, share, share the story. How, why are you a faithful business owner in the first place? So I actually grew up in the church and there's never been a period in my life where I was not involved in church and wasn't really involved in spiritual things or, or Bible things or church or anything like that. Um, I was actually baptized when I was 12 at church camp. And I felt like that was, that was a moment when I've ever really, you know, made a complete decision to follow the Lord in my life. Uh, up until then, I, again, I'd been around church my whole life, but you know, there comes a moment when you have to make a decision and you, you kind of put a stake in the ground or you put a line in the sand, whatever metaphor you want to use. And you say, I'm going to dedicate my life to, to following Jesus, whatever form that might take. And, um, but to be honest with you, it really wasn't until I would say my thirties, whenever I felt like my faith took a different form in the sense of, I would say I came to almost kind of a crisis point when, and I think many people who have been in church their whole life, they come to this point where you, you stop. um, What am I trying to say? You stop taking so much confidence into the answers that you've always been given by other people. And you really start to desire answers that you came to on your own and you have to make your faith real and it has to become your own and not just the faith that your mentors or your parents or your teachers gave you. And I came to a real, I would say even more like a crisis of faith where I just started to wonder, okay, is all this stuff real? Is it all completely true or, or how, how do I go about this? I've always been kind of a scientific thinker, I guess, a logical thinker. And I began to really question a lot of those things. And then just went through, I would say, a good five or seven years where I really began to study apologetics and science and uh, lots of those kinds of things. And I'm not sure any of those helped me by giving me definitive answers, but my faith became far more grounded. And I would say I, I came to a place in my life where I stopped trying, where I stopped having the need to have everything figured out. And I became much more comfortable with the mystery and, and just resigning myself to the fact that I'm never going to figure everything out. And um, I don't know, my faith became so much stronger at that point. I feel like I'm not making any sense at all with the story, but it's, it's just <laughs> no. been a journey. And I think everybody goes through this. 
yeah, no, it's actually it's actually making a lot more sense than you might think. So, um, just to kind of come back on some of those things, uh, it's it's really interesting to me how I I meet people and uh, I I don't realize like this just happened earlier to me today. Like I don't realize the um, amount of things that I have in common or or the the various dimensions in which there are people that I could con- you know the, the the various levels on which I could really connect with people. So. Um, yeah, like uh, uh, apologetics, um, and, and it's the same thing happened to me. Um, and I wouldn't, although I wouldn't necessarily describe mine as a as a crisis of faith. Uh, I've told the story before. You know, I grew up in church, and I, I totally get what you're saying. At some point, you have to put a stake in the ground. The answers have to become yours. I, I resonate with with a hundred percent of that. And there was a point in my life where I was asking literally the same question. I was, I I even felt as though I was called to preach. And right around that same time, I was like, well, wait a minute. Now, if I'm going to devote the entire rest of my life to this thing, like, you know, and, and, and like tell other people that they should believe it too with passion and all of this, then, then I better really have this nailed down. And that actually led me to get into apologetics. And, and I even have been blogging on that. That's the first thing I started writing about was apologetics. And I've been doing that for four or five years now. So, um, I guess it's just really interesting how, how all of that comes together. But I think a lot of other people here that are listening could probably, you know, identify with, with that as well. You, you have to come to the point where it's like, yeah, this thing is, this thing is mine. And you mentioned about mystery. Um, that's actually one of the most ironic things, right? So I, I never have been that scientific, philosophical, logical thinker until I got into, um, apologetics. And then I, you know, I, I did start to get used to those things and I started reading a lot. I had never even read before really. So I started reading a lot and all of these other things. And, um, the more I, I read, it's funny, you become, as you, as you become more well-read and you become a little bit more intelligent about things, um, you, you actually start to realize that, um, you don't have things figured out as much as you thought you did. I think there's a name for that. Is it the Dunning-Kruger effect? It's one of those fancy names um, where yeah, people— Sounds yeah, good to me. Let's go with I, it. Yeah, we're, let's go with it, right? Um, yeah, but where, where, where people tend to uh, think that they know more than they actually do, and then when you start to learn more, it turns out you don't know as much as you did. So um, I, yeah. I think being comfortable with mystery, being co- comfortable even with— even with uh, fantasy, like C.S. Lewis and all those guys, people don't realize those were some of the best thinkers. C.S. Lewis, that one of the greatest writers mm-hmm. of all time, was also one of the greatest apologists of all time. He he knew and he had answers, and yet he was able to write um, with such passion about things that make our minds, you know, wonder. And so I, I will say, I think that the only the only thing for me is I, I became I have answers now for things that a lot of other Christians I think should have answers for maybe I, I so I think there maybe the same things aren't as mysterious to me but now there are some really deep mysterious things mm. to me have you have you have you experienced that yeah I, I would say so I guess the way that I would put it for me is that the things that I used to, to be really interested in, I'm not so interested in these days, and I'm, I'm more interested in things that I didn't used to be interested in. Let me give an example of what I mean. So I actually come, I used to actually be a pastor in my 20s. I was a worship pastor at a church in Northern Illinois, and really, really wonderful church. I love those people. I still love them to this day. And then went into to teaching in a Christian college. I actually just left that job to do ghostwriting full-time and run my business. But I've always had a, had a strong heart 
for church and for leadership ministry. And, and in fact, one of my biggest clients right now is a ministry organization, which is kind of a funny thing in itself, because when I got into ghostwriting, I never thought that I would be doing anything related to church or ministry stuff. But it's funny because I've kind of come full circle in a way, ironically, but it, it's, it's so much fun being able to do some work for this organization. Anyway, when I was in my 20s, I was really, really interested in um, well, I was a worship pastor, so I was super engaged in the arts and, and all the nuances of the tech stuff and, um, you know, creative trends and stage design and all those things. And personally, I find that I have zero interest in that stuff anymore. I think part of that is just I'm in a different phase of life and your interests change. But I, I'm not, honestly, I could go to any style of a church and feel like I can have a wonderful worship experience. I don't really care about music style. I love all kinds of music, except for opera and really like hardcore metal. Don't really care for either one of those, but everything else I'm good with. So I, the form that church takes and worship experiences and all those things, um, that's not really where my heart is today, but I find that I'm far more interested in people than I used to be. I'm an introvert, kind of an analytical person. My 20s and 30s, I would get highly kind of irritated with people sometimes. <laughs> Didn't have much uh, patience. But now I find that I really am, um, I, I just love people. I love being around people. I love having conversations like we're doing now. And I find that I have far more empathy and patience than I have ever had. So, hmm. yeah, I think we just change as we get older and hopefully we change for the better. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I, uh, I'm curious, is there, do you think there's anything you could point to that might have helped spark that? Or, or it's just, I don't know, it just happened. You just woke up one day and it's like, oh, things are a little different now. Oh, yeah, I can definitely point to a couple of things. I think one thing for me uh, was just becoming a parent and, you know, having a kid that I have a 17-year-old son and, and you know, being a parent really changes you in so many fundamental ways. I, th I think hopefully if you're open to the journey of becoming a parent, you become more patient and empathetic with people and um, it just changes you in a lot of different ways, I guess. But also in my 30s, I went through, particularly the last few years of my 30s and into my early 40s, uh, I went through a really difficult emotional time where I just was really searching for what my next step was and what God wanted for my life. I felt very burned out and totally lost in my career direction, even though I had a, a I would say, a successful job as a college professor. I just was burned out and bored and had no idea what my direction was. And also my whole adult life, I wrestled with depression, sometimes more severely at other times. Um, it took me a long time to get a handle on that and figure out how to deal with it successfully. But I think just becoming adults and getting knocked around by life some gives you some humility and helps you to know you don't have it all figured out. And hopefully it, it makes you have a more heart toward people and to become more patient with people who aren't like you. And, and all that. But I, I would say far more than anything else, the thing that has helped me be a better person far more than I would be otherwise, uh, not that I'm so great today by any stretch, but I would be really, really bad if it wasn't for my amazing wife. She's been, we just celebrated our 25th wedding, wedding anniversary last month. She's stuck by my side. She's put up with a lot of weird quirks that I have and, you know, failures and all kinds of things. Um, not talking about like a moral failures, but just kind of stupid decisions I've made over the years. And, you know, just kind of 
being who I am. Um, she's been very patient. So that's been a gift. Yeah. Man, that's that's incredible. Well, don't worry, none of us have ever had any, you know, made any bad decisions or have any weird quirks. <laughs> so I'm sure the rest of us can't identify with you at all. There, uh, it, it's really interesting you say that um, because so the. Uh, uh, just yesterday, um, as we're recording this, just yesterday, I released a podcast episode. It was an um, interview with a gentleman named G. Michael Price. And he just recently wrote a book called Chase People, Not Money. And uh, mm-hmm. so it was really interesting that you that you said that because his, you know, I mean, his story is a little different, but, but you know, he kind of came to the conclusion that, lo and behold, if you just kind of fall in love with people, um, the business yeah. tends to take care of itself. And, and, and currently, you know, I shared, I think I shared with him and, uh, and I'll share it with you, uh, and everybody listening that, that for me, that's one of the things on my prayer list is empathy and, um, and, and having the right motives when I, when I do things, because I have enough self-awareness to know that a lot of times when I, you know, look at things, when I look at a business situation or I look at any situation, um, I'm selfish. And I, I, I don't want to be. Uh, I'm 31 years old, going on 32 pretty quickly here, and so I've got I've got a you know a little a little ways to go before I, I cross over maybe into, into what you crossed over into. But as you were talking about how you were in your 20s and 30s, I can I can very strongly identify with that. I have issues with patience. Yeah. I have issues with empathy. I have issues with with personally motive and selfishness, and so I'm self aware of those things. And I um, you know I, I actually can't help but wonder. I don't know where I heard this from. Um, um, I don't know where I heard this from, but somebody that when I think about this, I think of Dan Miller uh, as an example. He's a, uh, a mutual uh, acquaintance of mine, but probably mm-hmm. closer to a friend for you. But um, and and um, but so- something to the idea or to the effect of that it's almost like you don't really get into your 40s and maybe even your 50s until you're in the really the prime of your life uh, or the, uh, especially for your business, like like maybe it was a, a statistic somewhere, I'm all over the place, but maybe it was a statistic I read somewhere or something that said that that people tend to be the most successful at the, at, the, at the highest point of success in their life in their early 50s. And I wonder if it's just because it really takes that long to, to get it figured out. <laughs> and to, to, you know what I mean? To just go through, go through enough life to, um, you know, to, to be to a point where you're, you're focusing on the right things, et cetera. And, and who knows, I could be way off on that. But um, it yeah. does sound interesting that, that you know, it's, it's like your priorities tend to change. Um, so this is maybe a good opportunity then to talk about what you do. Um, so maybe, so obviously being, caring a lot about people and being really interested in people um, seems to be, uh, a great thing for business uh, because business is always a transaction between Definitely. between people. So why don't you just share? You mentioned a little bit about the work you did at the college. Maybe just share a little bit about your your history, what you what you've done in terms of uh, your work, and then um, what you're doing these days. So uh, I think I mentioned a minute ago. <clears throat> excuse me. I mentioned that I was a worship pastor in my twenties, and have always been really drawn to the arts, creativity those kinds of things, music, movies, storytelling, and so forth. And then when I was 29, I, I switched careers sort of to be a college professor and did that for 17 years. And in fact, just left that job a little bit ago. And I started out teaching music and worship. And then about a decade into that run in the college, I honestly, I, there's really no other way to say it. I just got really bored with what I was doing. And just kind of as a side note, you know, because this is a Christian podcast and 
I think your listeners are going to be very familiar with this. There's oftentimes a reason if you go to a church where you use modern music, you know, you have a band, you have projection equipment, you have stage lighting and those kinds of things. If you have a modern approach to music, there's oftentimes a reason why you never see worship leaders who are older than 35 or so. And the reason is because when you're involved in church music at that level, in terms of um, you have a full band, you're arranging music, you have lots of rehearsals and stuff. That's really a grueling process. And if you talk to anybody who's involved in creative arts in church, they will tell you it's, it's really exhausting because essentially every week you're putting on a new production and it needs to be good every week because you want to honor the Lord. You want to put on some, put on a service that is, is going to be good. It's going to be excellent, uh, but it is exhausting. And I kind of found myself in that place as well. When I got to be around 37 or 38, I was just really, really tired from being involved in that area of ministry for so long. So I switched over to teaching courses that were more about communications and storytelling and film and things like that, and just left that role, as I've already mentioned. A few years ago, while I was, I knew that I didn't want to be teaching forever. And so I started to think to myself, what would the next phase of my life look like? I better start planning for it now because I don't want to be like so many of my colleagues in other schools who lost their jobs at the drop of a hat. They were let go. Their contracts weren't renewed. That happened to a lot of my friends in other Christian colleges, particularly in music and worship programs. I didn't want the same thing to happen to me. So I started to think if I was going to create a business, what would that look like? And I knew that my main marketable skill was writing and communication so I just started to do some freelance work on the side. And as I was looking toward winding down my college career over the next few years, I started to build up my freelance writing business and also doing podcasting and also writing a couple of books along the way and, and those kinds of things. And eventually it built up to where last year, uh, over the last couple of years, I started really focusing on ghostwriting for business clients. And that grew to the point where I was able to leave my full-time job and do this job full-time right now. So basically what I do, th that's a really long-winded way to get you where I am now, Just, but just to give you some context. What I do now is I serve authors. And I, I do that in several ways. The client side of my business is I go strike books for people. I tend to focus on personal development, memoir, uh, business strategy, I'm actually writing a book right now for a Navy, I'm sorry, for a Marine veteran telling his story, which has been really a rewarding project. So I do the client side, but then on the, the other side of it, I, I work with writers. So I run a membership community called the Daily Writer Community. And that group is for writers who want to increase their mindset and habits for success. And that's a lot of fun. Then I also do a podcast called the Daily Writer Podcast, which focuses on those same themes. And then I'm working on a couple of my own books now, uh, now as well. So basically, I, I work with writers and creatives, and I love every second of it. Oh man, oh there's, there's so many things I want to talk about there. That is that's that's just a cool, cool story. I mean, it's um, it's interesting how uh, just to to go back to one thing here is the transferability. Um, you find so I do web design, um, website design, marketing, and things things like that. And I've as I've connected with more people who do it's so funny how many of them have creative backgrounds specifically in music yeah. 
and specifically in yep. worship music. Um, so, yeah. so it's true. Um, and and I guess the the same is probably also true of writers. Um, I've met quite a few writers who have that background. So you're another one. Yep. Um, and uh, yet another one. Yes, yes. So, so I, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I know I'm sure a lot of other people do. Um, I'm involved in our music program at church, and and we do a mix of modern and um and traditional music, and it, it definitely is. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a hard, long process. I, I mean, it's. I played music professionally for um. Between six and ten years in recording in the recording industry, I was in there for about ten years, and then in terms of live playing on the road was about six years, and that is a lot oh, of work. Cool. Yeah, um, it's fun, but it's a lot of work, and uh, it's yes. it is it's the kind of thing that it's like, especially once you have a family. You know, we have four kids. Um, it, it's one of those. I don't want to do this forever. I thought I did, but now I, you know, <laughs> I I you know I don't. So so um so I totally totally get that so in your so in your creative endeavors now you're doing you're you kind of have two sides to it you're doing kind of the uh the the podcast you know platform building into the membership you're doing Mm -hmm. that sort of uh that sort of thing um and then you also have the have the client work now i'm curious um do you because who doesn't want to talk about business development stuff like how do you get new you know are you doing outbound like to like how did you build up your clientele to this point like do people seek you out at this point do you do a lot of outbound to try to get new new business how does that work i don't do any outbound marketing at all for my ghostwriting it is all referral based uh and based on relationships so i spend a lot of time every week on zoom calls with people just getting to know you for really no for no other reason than just Hey, let's let me hear what you what you're doing. I'd love to to chat for 30 minutes and just see what you're up to and just say hello. I do a ton of that every week. Uh, I'm involved in several different kinds of business mastermind groups, those kinds of things, uh, which are really valuable. So at this point, it's just all referral based. And here's what's really interesting about all this. I used to think that basically, let's take ghostwriting for example, since that's what I do. I'll use that as a as a guinea pig here. I used to think that basically the person who ha- is the most skilled ghostwriter would naturally be the one who gets the most business or who can charge the, the highest fees or who can have the most success, whatever metrics you want to put on that. But actually, that's not true. I think the ones who are the most successful are typically the ones who are known by the most people and who are liked by the most people. So really, it all comes down to that old thing of, People do business with those they know, like, and trust. It's a, it's a totally a, it's a phrase people throw around a lot, um, but it's true. It's absolutely true. So I think it's really critical just to spend time serving people, getting to know people and networking for no other reason than just to serve people. It's not like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta throw my business card at you and you know, this kind of stuff. So no, I don't do any marketing except just for building relationships. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's it's kind of one of those things that it's like, it's like you, it's that thing that you know you ha- you really should do and you really have to do, but it's it's actually really hard to do that unless you just like really do take an interest in people. You know, it's it's one of those things that it yeah. almost sounds so easy that that it's like, you know, 
no, I don't want to do that. I want somebody to tell me the hard thing that I have to walk through the checklist of things. But it's kind of like if you just yeah. like all of my early web design business, it was the same thing. It was just meeting with people in those in those groups. And, you know, I, I took I used to be in the 48 days with Dan Miller and I, I took away a couple clients from that. Same with Michael Hyatt's Platform University when he owned that years mm-hmm. ago. I have a, a few clients that came out of that. And that was so, like my early business development was was like that. So um, and still <laughs> some is to this day. So what is the what is the process then of of ghostwriting look like? Because I kind of feel like that this scares uh, people. Well, okay, there's I think there's two things. I think the first thing is people have no idea about it. I, I think I think ghostwriting is a True. new term for uh, for a lot of people. Maybe it's you know a little more popular today, but but I, I still think you know. I mean, just to kind of spoil the fun for everybody, like most of these big names, especially big names, but even some of your not so big names these days who, who have their own book, like a lot of times they are not sitting in front of the computer screen for, you know, days. No, and I've, I've written three books, so I understand the amount of work that it is. Um, and only one of them was a full length. And so even so, I, I realize how much work it, it, it is. And so, yeah, these people are for the most part not sitting in front of their screen for hours and hours on end. They're using people like, um, like Kent. So I feel like that's one mm-hmm. f- just sort of, you know, uh, audience for this is people who don't have a clue what it is. But then on the other hand, I think you have people who, once they do find out what it is, it, it scares them. <laughs> it's like, what, how, how, how will sure. it ever sound like me? You know, so can you address kind of those two different poles of, of thinking there? I can. Absolutely. So let me, let me address the first one about um, kind of what ghostwriting is. Now there's really two, there's really two types of ghostwriting as I see it. There's the type of ghostwriting where basically somebody says, go write a book on XYZ topic, fiction or nonfiction. You give it to me and I put my name on it. And the, the client basically has nothing to do with the book. That does happen a lot. I mean, let's not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and says that never happens because it does happen a lot. I don't really do that kind of ghostwriting. Um, I do the kind of ghostwriting where I am highly involved with the client. And my job as the ghostwriter is not to come in and have all the ideas and to write a book, start to finish, and then give it to you. And then you market it as if you did it totally yourself. That's not really the way that I do it. And it's not the way that most ghostwriters do it, by the way. The way that ghostwriting typically works, and I think this is this can be a very beautiful collaboration, is that, Steve, let's say you hire me to write a book, uh, but you don't have the time or you don't have the interest in sitting down in front of a keyboard for hundreds of hours and cranking out a book because it takes a long time. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to craft a book from start to finish. So let's just get that out of the way first. It's a long, grueling process to write a book, especially if you're not doing it all the time. So I come in and first of all, we talk about what are your goals? What's the idea that you have for the book? What is your business? What do you want this book to do for you? That's the number one thing I always ask about before we get into anything else is what do you want this book to accomplish for you? Because it should help you accomplish something. It's a big time and a money expense hiring a ghostwriter. So my first job is to make sure that your investment in this process is going to get you some kind of result. Now, I can't guarantee you're going to get that result because that's really up to you, but I'm going to get the ball as far down the field as I possibly can to help you achieve whatever result you're looking for, whether that be getting more clients, more credibility in your niche or your field, 
maybe you hire me to write a family legacy type of a book, whatever it is. So I discover what's your goal, first of all. And then we go through more of the nuances of what's the idea, who's the audience for the book, what are the other books that are competing against your book, and what are you bringing to the marketplace that's new or different or unique. And we go through that whole process. And then over a period of months, we work through the structure of the book. We talk about stories that will be included. We do lots of interviews. We have lots of calls where I basically am extracting stories and content and information from you. And then my job as the ghostwriter is to basically put on my Steve hat every time that I work on the, the project and I go, what would, how would Steve say this if he were the one writing this book? And half of the job of ghostwriting is listening. It's listening to how you say things and how you word things. And I pay attention to things like, do you speak in, in short, punchy sentences? Do you speak in long, complex sentences? What Are there any kind of words that you tend to use a lot? Um, I, I basically learn your voice and I train myself to speak and write like you as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And I'm there really, the, the way that I look at ghostwriting is that I'm kind of a midwife. Now I realize I'm a man, and, you know, a midwifery, midwifery, I think is what they call it. Yeah. Is that's, I'm sure primarily something that females do, but that's the best analogy I can think of it. I'm there to support you in your journey to bring your baby into the world, which is your book, of course to clean it up, to make sure it's healthy and breathing and to give it back to you wrapped in a warm snug blanket Love so that. you can present it to the world. Yeah. I'm there to support your ideas and to assist you in that journey. That's really all that I do as a ghostwriter. Huh. Wow. That, so um, I'm, I'm trying to think where, where, you know, where to go with that. So it's not, so it's not something to be scared of, right? So it's, it's not, no, not a bit. You know, you know, it's like if I, um, at least the way you do it, right? If I come to you and say, hey, I want to um, write a book, I, I can, you know, your job is to make me feel like that I'm in good hands and that when, when this thing goes out into yep. the world, it's going to be. Now, now, okay, so here's a question then. How, how long does this process take? Now, I know that's going to be a little subjective, right? Like, let's say for a normal, you know, what, 250 to 300 page book, I think that's probably about a standard book length. You know, for something like that, you know, how long does the process take? take usually i mean is are you looking at you know months is it a year you know is there an average that you can even point to yeah and that's a really good question by the way a really really good question so what i tend to shoot for with clients is i have kind of a standard approach and then nothing ends up ever being standard of course with books <laughs> because sure. there's Same lots of websites. nuances obviously and yeah. personalities and schedules and all that stuff but generally what i shoot for is if it's a nonfiction book I shoot for somewhere between 140 and 160 pages. Um, the reason now that seems like a short book to a lot of people, but honestly, with today's attention spans, shorter is almost always better. You can almost always cut stuff out of a book and it's going to improve it. Now there's a point at which it's too short. Um, typically my clients self-publish on Amazon and I assist them with that whole process. And the rule on Amazon is a book has to be at least hundred pages long for you to be able to have printing on the spine. And that's critical because you want this book to look like a regular book like you would get in a bookstore. And I work with top shelf um, editors, graphic designers, you know, layout artists who basically when we finish, your book is indistinguishable from any book that a publisher would do because it's super high quality. 
it's top notch and all that stuff. So, but to, to go back to answering your question, that's typically the range that I shoot for 150 to 160 pages, around 40 to 45,000 words is a standard range. It sometimes could be longer, a little shorter. And typically I plan for six months start to finish. So month one, we talk about your audience, what you want to accomplish with the book. We're outlining the book and structuring it. Then months two, three, four, we're gathering content. I'm writing drafts. You as the client are editing the drafts. So your role as, as the client, it's not like you just sit back and do nothing. This, <laughs> this does still take some time. Yeah. Because you then become the editor because I'm drafting and you're telling me what to change. This is good. This is not good. It's, there's a lot of back and forth. And then, you know, typically months five and six, we're thinking about editing, cover design, uploading to Amazon, ordering proof copies to make sure it all looks good, getting your ISBN number, all those kinds of nuances with it. So now I do have one client who we just extended hers to nine or 10 months because she wanted to take it a little bit slower, which is totally normal. But six months is very, very doable from start to finish. Wow, that, I, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. I mean, I was for some, I don't know yeah, why I was, I was expecting it to take longer than that. I guess because I'm I'm biased and I know how long it took me to to, to work on my own. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty um, that's pretty reasonable to think that. Now, I mean, I don't know what 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 sort of you know cost investment and all of that is involved, but I mean, six months to have you know a a, a book written from from nothing. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that okay. That's great. Now, all right. Now I have a question for you that might be a little difficult to answer. Kind of, kind of moving on down the the sort of standard questions I like to ask um, because I, I really do think that um, good business is going to be good business no matter what your faith background is and, and all of that. Um, however, I, I do wonder if there's anything, and you can say no, but is there anything that points to um, that you think would differentiate you from other people who are doing what you're doing because you're. Christian, I mean, because you're a faithful business. I mean, are there people, just as an example, another interview that I conducted along these lines, this was a while while ago, in the particular industry, unfortunately, there were a lot of people who were doing things similar to what my guest was doing, and um, but but they they would take advantage of people. They would, you know, the industry was known for having its bad apples, so to speak. And so there was a marked sure. um, difference. Do you see any difference in, in, in what you do? Does it give you a competitive edge or an advantage at all or? I would say it can. Um, I don't necessarily put it out there that I used to be a pastor. I mean, most of my friends sure. know. Sure. People who are in my circle, they're aware of that and, and my story. And I'm very public on social media, especially the last two, three months, about transitioning away from my Christian college job into ghostwriting. So yeah. anybody who's who's followed me on social media, they they know my background. I've never had one single person ever seem weird about that or uncomfortable Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the the interesting thing is that I have had more conversations about God, the Bible, faith, Jesus, with non-Christians the past several months as I have transitioned into this new world than I probably have the past two or three years. Yeah. Oddly yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, that's been an interesting thing. You know, that is, uh, it's actually, not, again, it's it's not so odd. Um, I've talked to, so another gentleman um, that I've talked to recently that I hope to have on the podcast soon, you know, one of the things that he pointed out to me without even asking the question, I was just asking how business was, and um, he said, you know, ironically, I'm able to have a bigger impact for the Lord doing business than I was when I used to yeah. work full-time for a ministry, and um, yeah. uh 
there, and I'm thinking now of, of probably three other people that I have heard say something very similar that in their business endeavors, because they're a faithful business owner, they're, they're, you know, they, they are having a bigger impact for the faith um, through their business than they were because it was, it's almost like in min, like when you're in ministry, you know, there's almost like this big X, this big barrier that you have to overcome to get people who um, aren't interested in faith to even start to listen versus right. versus it, it just happens naturally when you're doing business with people. Um, it does. So, so that that's, yeah, that's it does. And it's fantastic. It also became when I stopped trying to evangelize people, Life got way simpler. Hmm. Now, I, I want to put some context yeah. to that because okay. it's going to be that. easy to misunderstand that. Yeah. Okay, what I mean by that is that I grew up in an evangelical church culture that really put the emphasis on every conversation used to be about Jesus. When you encounter people who don't know Jesus, you've got to be presenting scripture. You've got sometimes all these systems that you've got to memorize to present things in a certain logical way. And, and th- there is an element to to the world of, of apologetics at times and of the evangelical church culture that basically kind of wants to argue people into heaven and debate people into heaven. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that because I think that can be a healthy and interesting thing. But I have found that people tend to open up to me more when I just say, hey, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. I don't have everything figured out. And, and you know what? I could be totally wrong about all this. Maybe there is no God. I mean, I can't like point to something and say, you know, God exists definitively because I think, I think you're, I think we're kind of honestly hard pressed to prove that definitively. If there was definitive proof, everybody would be a Christian, right? So what I say is this is my journey. This is the faith journey that makes sense to me based on the evidence, based on what I know about science and creation and the universe and the laws of physics seems to me that it's kind of obvious there's an intelligent designer behind everything that we see. And when I take that, and then, then when I take what I know about the Bible and the historicity of the Bible and the, the proof of it and the historical findings and all that stuff, when I put all that together, the Christian faith just kind of makes the most sense to me. And that's, that's really why I'm a Christian, uh, to be totally honest with you. It just makes sense to me. So, but when, but when I pr- kind of shared Christ like that with people, and I don't judge where they're coming from or their own journey, they seem to really open up to that. So I, I've stopped trying to convince anybody. I just try to share who I am. And when it comes up in conversations, I share my faith. And that seems to get way better results than trying to argue with people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think uh, a lot of people that I, same here, you know, I grew up in a context where it was like, look, if you're you know, like every time like, you should pretty much be talking to everybody, like you go through the grocery store and it's like, you're, you know, you're, you're everybody you meet in the grocery store, you're, you're saying, Hey, do you know, you're handing them a track, you know, Hey, do you know, and I, I'm right. like, that's never right. worked for me. I, I, I'm introverted. You know, I, I don't have that personality, you know, um, you know, it, you know, what works for me is to say exactly what you said. Basically, it's just, you know, but I think, 
I think it's helpful to have a, a grounding in, in, you know, to be a good thinker, right? To know about, uh, to yes, know where the evidence absolutely. points and things like that. Some people just don't, you know, they're, they're, that's actually one of the first book that I wrote was about that. It, it was because I came out of this culture who they wanted to evangelize to everybody, but they didn't ever want to talk about challenges and problems that people raise. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's a just have faith mindset, but it's also a go win the world mindset. And those two things don't work because the world has questions. And so... Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a completely different, you know, rabbit trail we could go down sometime, but, um, um, but it is interesting and, and I think should be very encouraging for people. I mean, it, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you know, you're not, I don't know why you would be if you're not either a, a leader of some sort or, or, uh, an entrepreneur already, but if you're not like take the leap, go out, do it, you know, it, it's one of the biggest ways I think that you can make an impact for the world. I am, um, I'm actually thinking about writing a book about, this particular subject so maybe we'll need to have a conversation here in the future um but there's um um michael hyatt recently wrote a book called entrepreneurs will save the world i think is what it's called he wrote that at the beginning of this coronavirus thing and uh, i sort of have this inclination that um that christian entrepreneurs will change the world now i i i I, want to flesh that out a little bit more at some point but um my point is that i think uh, especially with some of the censorship and things that are happening today i think there's a renaissance of christian entrepreneurship happening and also coming up that could be uh really uh i think beneficial and useful um and uh i think has more merit than a lot of people give it and one of the of course outgrowths of that would be the fact that you can touch more lives, you can reach more people um, through business than a lot of times you can in direct, you know, yeah. ministry where they can see you coming, especially here in 2021. So um, very true. All right. So I have another question for you. Um, what would you say um, that is people's biggest misconception about um, owning, you know, running a, a business. Do, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? Like where, where people just think it's this dream or whatever, and then it turns out, well, it's not as simple as it seems. Yeah, I, I would say that if I had to identify one thing, that would be exactly it. Is there, there really has been a rush, I think, the last decade or so to for people to get out of the corporate world and to kind of escape the nine to five, that's what you hear a lot in this entrepreneur hustle kind of world. But the reality of it is that, um, you know, there is a certain amount of comfort and predictability and relationships that comes with being an employee of somewhere. And in fact, I was telling my wife the other day, I said, you know, this time of year, I would be getting ready for the fall semester in my college job. And I always really looked forward to that because the beginning of a new year at school represents kind of a fresh start, represents a newness and getting to meet new students. And I loved the people that I work with. I really did. And the reality of it is that when you own your own business, especially when you work from home, you have to create all those systems from scratch. You've got to create that schedule and you've got to be a lot more disciplined and you have to figure out what your goals are because nobody's going to tell you that. You have to create all this from scratch yourself. So all those things that that we rely on an employer to do for us to tell us, here's, here's what your salary is, here's what your responsibilities are, here's what your schedule is, now you're responsible for all those things. So I think in many ways, it's a lot harder to own your own business. Um, a lot of people talk about freedom, and that is true, but with that freedom does come a price, and that price is that now that it's all on you. 
So you've got to figure out a way to make it work. And um, I, I think there are a lot of benefits to it though as well. So it just kind of depends on the, the type of life that you want. But that is a huge misconception kind of back to the main point is that, yeah, I'm free from the nine to five. It's such an awesome feeling. Um, oh yeah, now I've got to make income. And now I have to be disciplined and scheduled and it's up to me to create my success. So I think if that's what somebody wants, you can absolutely do it. But if you really love having some place to go work, if you love somebody else telling you what to do and having that predictable income from an employer, then, you know, entrepreneurship is not necessarily going to be a grass is greener on the other side kind of a thing. So you have to kind of decide what you want in life and then go for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I uh, I am I'm not of the persuasion that everybody should be an entrepreneur just because you know some people are are definitely going to be better suited for that um, you know that employee. I mean, you can be a a great employee. You can serve the Lord in your job as Absolutely. an employee. You can serve your employer. You know, yeah, um, I did for a long but, time. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, but, the, but you know, just earlier today. Um, you know, I, I had another, you know, you, you go through these periods, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. Um, sh- you go through these periods of time where you're really grateful and you go through these periods of time where you're a little scared. You go through these, you know, periods of time where you're really, really stressed when you feel disorganized. Um, and th- there are these different phases, you know, just earlier I was working on a website and I had, uh, I had Star Trek turned on, on uh, the next generation turned on, on, uh, the monitor over here to my right and, uh, the monitor in front of me, I was just going to town on a website. And at that moment I was like, man, this is the life, you know, I, I didn't get to used to do this, you know, just, you know, s- you know, sit there and, and, and then, but you know, the, you know, the bill's got to be paid. There's stuff that's got to be done. So I uh, I totally uh, totally resonate with that, and I'm sure others others do as well. Um, yeah. Th- the last question uh, I want to ask you here, um, and I hope you'll hang out with me after we uh, after we turn the recording off just for a minute, because I, I want to talk to you for a second and ask you a couple questions um, sure. briefly. But um, what you know, I guess you know, for me, I just want to know what is your favorite Bible verse, or do you have do you have a particular bit of scripture that you go back to to lean on when you know things are things are getting rough, or just any perspective you have on that? I do, and that's a great question, by the way. My favorite Bible verse, and it's actually two verses put together uh, for decades, has been Proverbs three, five, and six, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I love that verse for probably probably a lot of reasons, but I am the kind of person who likes to have control. I'm an organized person. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to get into entrepreneurship was because I wanted to have control. I, I wanted to have say over my schedule. I wanted to have say over where I worked, when I worked, you know, those kinds of things. But there does come a time which we have where we have to recognize our own humanity and our, our imperfections and the fact that sometimes we're not so bright. And especially if, if we're coming from a faith background, we've got to trust God and trust that he's going to give us wisdom. He's going to bring people into our lives to help us. We don't have to be the type A John Wayne guy or, or gal who's always got it all figured out or who haven't has an answer to everything. Sometimes we are really weak and we screw up and we make mistakes and we need, God, we need God's grace in those moments. I know I need it every single day. 
So I love that verse because it just reminds me of, you know what? I don't have it all figured out and God's got my back. He's always had it and he always will, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic answer. I, I, uh, my wife and I have been thinking about that recently as well. It's, it's kind of one of those things where, where it's hard to see, uh, you know, we don't know the future. Right, we we don't know what tomorrow holds, as the old saying goes. But we know who holds tomorrow, and it's yeah. you know it it's it, you can always look back and see the hand of God, and in our in our lives as we look back, it's like it's never not worked out, no matter what. It's right. it, it, it's right. never not worked out, and it, if that's if that's not a good track record, and you can't trust in that then I don't know what it is. And my, my favorite motto recently to underscore all of that is um, we either trust him or we don't. And I just yeah. keep going back to yeah. that. It's like, it, it, you know, all these things, whether it's in your giving, whether it's in your, you know, in the grind and in, in your faithfulness, just, you know, whatever it is, um, you either trust him or you don't. And so, um, you know, your, your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tried. But if you trust him, hey, it's all going to work out. Uh, Kent, thank you so much for your time. Man, this, is, this has been fantastic. We learned a lot. Uh, I'm hopeful that um, uh, people are, uh, you know, if anyone who is listening is enthused about writing a book but doesn't want to actually, you know, you want a book on your name, but you don't want to sit, you know, you want a, a book with your name on it, but you don't want to sit down and type every word yourself, uh, maybe you'll reach out to Kent. Um, what is the best way that uh, people can get in contact with you or, or keep up with the work that you're doing. Social media is great. You can find me on Facebook at Kent Sanders. I'm on Instagram as well at Kent Sanders. And I'm, I may be getting onto TikTok at some point in the near future. Uh -oh. Don't hold me to that because I hear that's, that's like for young people and I'm not a young people. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> I won't be doing any dancing on TikTok. I promise. Uh, we shall see. But you can also go to my website, which is kentsanders.net. And if you want to learn more about writing, um, like from the perspective of you're the one who's doing the writing, uh, if you want to check out my podcast and other stuff, you can go to dailywriterlife.com. Very good. Very good. All right, Kent. Thank you so much uh, for this time. It's been fantastic. And uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. Thank you. So thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been an honor, Steve.